The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Catholic Home on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Teresa, and on this episode, I'm joined by our return guest, Phil, and by my husband, Damien. Welcome back, Phil. Thanks, Teresa. It's great to be back. And welcome to you, Damien. Thanks, Teresa. Happy to be here. This episode is a members-only episode, and it's not available for individual purchase and download. To receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit restorationradionetwork.org and go to the member area on the menu bar to find out details on becoming a member. We are beginning a short series on the head of the home, being the husband and father. Both of our guests are experienced Catholic husbands and fathers and have much to share with us on these very important roles in the home and in society. Now on this particular show, we will be talking specifically about the role of the husband in the Catholic home. During the course of it, we'll be discussing some of the challenges to this role, especially during modern times, and sharing strategies to help overcome these challenges. So, Phil, would you please lead us with a prayer? Be happy to, Teresa. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. O Holy Joseph, thou faithful companion of the Blessed Mother, thou who didst protect her and her divine child with such care, and didst devote thy whole life to them, we beseech thee to also be our family's protector, and advocate with Jesus, thy adopted Son. Obtain for us the grace to fulfill our duties to our families, as thou hast done to Mary and Jesus. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Now for those who haven't heard the other shows that you've done on Restoration Radio, Phil, would you please briefly share a little bit about yourself? Okay, I'm, I'm a Catholic father of four children. I, I converted to Catholicism at the age of about 27, and I'm somewhere between, uh, shall we say, 30 and 50. <laughs> <laughs> 49. <laughs> Our children now are 14, down to eight, three older girls and a son. I remember, I think it was your first show with uh, Louise, the Catholic mission show that I helped you on, Teresa. Uh, to our listeners, if you haven't heard that one, it's a cracker. Yeah, sure. What do you mean, like a biscuit? <laughs> or a, a, what do they say in America? A cookie. And like the cake we're eating now. <laughs> no, um, in America say cracker, and here we say biscuit. Oh, right. Okay. So anyway, I'm wrapped to be able to help you with this show. Um, and I work as a senior manager in public service, which is uh, quite a busy role, a bit of a white-collar role. Um, I hope I can shed some insight into the topic of the Catholic husband and father, the head of the home, starting with this episode dedicated to the Catholic husband of today. I really think it's a continual struggle for all husbands and fathers, but especially Catholic ones, keeping our faith, protecting our family in this modern world, and trying to eke out a living in our secular and particularly atheistic workplaces, especially if you're a wage earner like me. Yes, so true, and thanks for that. Brief overview, Phil and Damien, since this is your first time as a guest on our network, would you please tell listeners something about yourself? 
Well, it's not very interesting. Well, we know that, but try to make it interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, we both know you. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, look, thanks, Teresa. I'm a 46-year-old cradle Catholic brought up in a family who rejected Vatican II in the early days. I personally have always vehemently rejected Vatican II and will continue to do so until my last breath. It is no doubt associated with the operation of error and the great apostasy, and I reject it with every fibre of my being. As we, I think we're all on the same page there, mate. Absolutely. I joined the Australian Army at the age of 17, starting as an apprentice diesel mechanic and subsequently became certified in that trade. Mind you, I was a very mediocre mechanic, so I applied to be accepted into the Royal Military College, and they were stupid enough to accept me. <laughs> <laughs> so I did the 18-month like course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did the 18-month course and became an officer. Apparently, Phil, all the bad tradesmen in the army become officers. Yes, that's right. You, you didn't work for a living, so you became an officer. <laughs> <laughs> I retired from the army at around 27, then entered the corporate world. I've since worked for a number of large corporations, including uh, General Electric, GE, and also some small businesses. I now work for myself. I have a tree stump grinding business, and my machinery works very hard and requires <laughs> a lot of maintenance. A lot harder than I do, that's for sure. So you could say I've gone back to my roots with uh, my mechanics boom, education. Boom. <laughs> is this a comedy show or uh, this with, is... Well, I, do Francis. I think with you two, I think there's no chance it'll be anything but a comedy show. <laughs> that's a pretty serious topic, so it, it will to be yes. serious at times. Yeah, it will get more serious. That's true. Yeah, I also provide some business consulting services for small to medium-sized businesses, mainly in the field of strategic development. As the listeners will have gathered, Teresa, the host of this series, is my wife, and we have 10 children who range from 22 down to three years old. We have five boys and five girls. They're all still at home, which makes for a very busy and somewhat noisy household at times. But in the main, it's an enjoyable household. Well, I, I think it is anyway. Well, I think they're all, um, you know, got uh, gags on at the moment, haven't they? <laughs> in the other room. That's right. Gaffer tape comes in handy, let me tell you. <laughs> Some years ago, Teresa and I committed to do our best to live by the words of Christ as given to us by St. Luke in uh, chapter 12, verse 31, which is, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, there are always new challenges to which I'm sure many listeners can relate, new challenges which come about purely by the fact that we live in this modern age. But I can say with certainty that this passage from St. Luke has assisted us greatly with sorting out our family's priorities because it does encapsulate the most important thing which we must do and that is to seek ye first the kingdom of God. I am certain that if we never stray from doing that we will be on the right path. So as the head of my home I can confidently state that I do not deserve the blessings which have been bestowed upon my family and I do not have the capacity to effectively appreciate them but within my limited capacity I am most grateful. This is a great opportunity also for me to publicly thank specifically St. Joseph St. Jude, St. Sebastian, St. Philomena, and St. Ursula and companions for all their assistance. Just sorry, just going to say, um, there's a bit of a theme coming through there, a bit of a hidden message at the start. Um, have some good devotions to some uh, really powerful saints. Um, really helps you with becoming a good husband and a good father. Yeah. Not that I'm saying you're all that good, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to get fed after this, Phil? Okay, I've got some cake here. <laughs> Nice cake, by the way. BYO chocolate. Now, thanks for that, Damon. That was very interesting. So, before we launch into the main part of the show, I wanted to ask each of you why you wanted to do this show, because I think our listeners would, would find that you know, worthwhile. And in particular, I think the reasons why we are discussing this topic are just as important as like, what we will be discussing. So, Phil, what have you got to say there? Oh, I think you're right. Um, 
they are just as important as what we will be discussing, the reasons why. So I wanted to do this show because if there's anything that will help preserve the faith and bring about a true restoration of the church, well, this is Restoration Radio after all, isn't it? Right. Um, but it is. That's uh, if there's anything, it's the pre- preservation of the family. The family is the building block of Catholic society, and a true Catholic family needs a pious and strong Catholic father, head and leader of his family, captain for the faith, protecting his small band of Christian soldiers, being an example and guide and bringing his children up in a saintly way. The role of the husband and father, I think, is the cornerstone of the family, and he's got a grave responsibility not only for his family's material well-being, but also their spiritual well-being. And just like the sins of Adam are visited on all mankind through original sin, the sins of the father will be visited upon the children and subsequent generations. That includes sins of omission. Think of what God said to Moses when he gave him the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord thy God, mighty, jealous, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. So it's a pretty grave responsibility. I think there's uh, some clarity there. Mm, for sure. The other reason I was interested in taking part in this show is because I often come across families, even traditional Catholic families, who are infected, shall we say, with the norms of the world and give in to its pressures. This achieves the devil's ultimate plan, undermining the building block of Catholic culture and society. So never was it more needed now um, than now, should I say, to get back to basics on what it means to be a Catholic husband and father and to hold true to our faith for the restoration of the church. The head of the home is the foundation of the family. If we husbands and fathers give in to undermining effect of the world upon our families, then we effectively help the devil try to smash apart the last bastions of our holy faith, the one true faith, and that's why I was interested in doing this show. Well, that's fantastic. And Damien, why did you want to do this show? And please don't say it's because I asked you. (laughs) All right. Well, I won't say it's because you asked me to. Well, it's because you told me to. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, though, I agree with the reasons Phil outlined just now. And given this first part is actually dedicated to the husband, I'd like to say to current and potential Catholic husbands, and as a reminder to myself, by the way, and wives, feel free to listen in, be under no illusion we are at war. That's a fact. There is a tireless spiritual battle going on, and we have found ourselves right in the thick of it. This is the time of the great apostasy and one of Satan's key agenda items is to tear down the Catholic family unit because the Catholic family is the building block of a virtuous society, as Phil alluded to earlier. And of course, it is the family life which essentially determines the direction of souls. It's not up to the schools or the sporting clubs. It's not even up to the true Catholic clergy, as many believe it is. It all comes back to Mm. the home. And the ultimate responsibility rests wholly and solely on the shoulders of the husband. In becoming husbands and fathers, we accept this very great responsibility, and in doing so, we undertake an extremely important role in God's plan, which is to make our home first and foremost a Catholic home, to keep our wonderful wives in line. <laughs> you got to kick me. Oh, the she table. just kicked me. Yeah. <laughs> but we also must bring our children up to know, love, and serve God as He has deigned. It is vital for the restoration of Holy Mother Church, in particular, that we husbands and fathers have our children understand that as each generation within our lineage comes about, it must strive to be better than the last in all things Catholic. If this Mm. is the way of things, then the one true faith will not only be preserved, but it will build throughout society. Mm. We true Catholic families are one of Satan's prime targets, I believe, but fear not if you run your household indeed, your kingdom in accordance with the will of Christ. However, if there are no indicators which suggest very strongly that your family is indeed a target, then you have every reason to fear. 
We will expand on this aspect as we go deeper into this show. Mm-hmm. So I aim to share the knowledge I've accumulated from being a husband for 24 years and a father for 22 to encourage current and prospective husbands that we husbands need to be vigilant in order to carry out our role and responsibilities effectively or to become even more vigilant if we believe we are already so. I do not claim to be an expert on this topic because let's face it, the dynamics of each union between husband and wife are different as each man and woman is different with different experiences and strengths and weaknesses. So to that end, what I will offer is my perspective, but I hope that in some way it helps others and selfishly also helps me by way of a reminder to myself in the areas where I need to improve. And there's plenty of areas where I need to improve. Special comments, Teresa Arthur. Well, we don't have to get any argument from us. <laughs> no, I didn't think I would. No. My mind's a blank. <laughs> I'd like to share a meditative concept with the listeners, one that I often use as a reminder to myself. So current and potential husbands, feel free to apply this to yourselves if you think it's going to assist you. It certainly helps me to keep my priorities on the straight and narrow. And the message to myself is this. Understand with absolute clarity that if you fail in your duties as husband and father, you are culpable for that failure. And as God has made you the head of a home, remember that one day, perhaps today or tomorrow, only God knows, you will find yourself standing before the Almighty Judge at your particular judgment. And it is wise to anticipate that the all-knowing God will say to you, Damien, I gave you 11 other souls to feed, clothe and house. But most importantly, I made you custodian of their souls in order that you send them back to me, their creator, their father, their God. You know that when I was suffering pain unimaginable to you on the cross of redemption, I called out, I thirst. The return of your soul, the souls, the soul of your wife and the souls of your children is the remedy which can quench my thirst. Damien, what have you done with them? The thought of replying with a bunch of excuses scares me beyond explanation. I mean, this is one of my subjects of meditation, and for me, it's always been a good reality check. So to finish off on answering your question, Teresa, why did I want to participate in this show? There is so much against the Catholic family today, but it is the husband's job as the head of his home to create a home environment where all family members are protected, a sanctuary, if you like. And I hope there are some takeaways in this show which will in some way assist current and future husbands with their extremely important role. So whilst I think it is good practice, indeed a reality check, to consider the meditative concept that I mentioned, it is also very fruitful to meditate afterwards on going before the Almighty Judge and imagining him with arms outstretched, smiling at you and saying, I hath not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man what things I have prepared for you who has loved me. And yeah, very encouraging thoughts, yet also very sobering. So I guess we should now move into the nuts and bolts, so to speak, of defining the role of the husband. So, Bill, can you help us mm-hmm. with that? Well, Damien's got me started on this war thing. So before we go to the nuts and bolts, can I just make a little comment on that? Um, and then we'll go from there. Uh, at war is absolutely right. In fact, given both Damien and I are ex-soldiers, I think it's a great analogy for this show, so we'll probably try and weave that through if we can. It's like St. Ignatius of Loyola. Yeah, we are, we are the church militant, after all. Uh, we're bringing up soldiers for Christ in perpetual warfare in the battle for our souls and the souls of our families. So in preparing for this show uh, on the husband, I, of course, am going to look to the great St. Paul. Um, no surprise there. But on this war we're talking about, he sends us a message regarding the enemy who aims to destroy our families. A quote, Our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the world of this darkness, against the spirits of wickedness in the high places. End quote. So I think we can safely say we are definitely at war. If husbands only take one message from this show, it should be that. And as captains of our troops, that is our family in Christ's army, we need to ensure that we and our troops are battle ready and in constant training through prayer, penance and good works. This reminds me of what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, marriage is an adventure, like going to war. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but we're meant to be warring with the enemy, not each other. That's right. (laughs) So, look, I think it would be good to outline the main areas that we decided that we will cover in these shows before we move on. So I'll do that now. So the first one we came up with was understanding the role of the husband as taught by Holy Mother Church. Yep. Second, the duties of the husband as head of the home. Third, Current day attacks on the role of the husband. I'm sure there are legion. <laughs> Fourth, the infiltration of evil into the family, which undermines the head of the home. Fifth, the practical considerations for defending against these attacks on the head of the home. And finally, six, we'll suggest some reading material. So, Phil, let's start with understanding the role of the husband as taught by Holy Mother Church. Yeah, the nuts and bolts, as you put it, Teresa. To define the role of the husband, it's not all that easy to separate out the roles of husband and father because they tend to go hand in glove. After all, you know, the prime reason for becoming a husband is to become a father. So let's firstly just say we apologise in advance for any crossover, but it's important to keep the things separate, but it's also, uh, you know, there is a lot of crossover between them. But this show is about the husband. So back to St. Paul. In his letter to the Ephesians, uh, it was chapter 5, verse 22 to 32. It's probably the most quoted passage of Scripture, wouldn't you say, about the role of husbands and wives? So he sends a pretty clear message. First and foremost, it should be taken to heart by those who are about to enter the bond of marriage. Um, But it's also a great reminder to us oldies who've been married for a few years now. So, quote, let women be subject to their husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so also let wives be subject to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and delivered himself up for it, that he might sanctify it, cleansing it by the labour of water in the word of life, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So also ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, as also doth Christ the church, because we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be two in one flesh this is the great sacrament but i speak in christ and in the church yeah this passage from saint paul is pretty much always used by the priest during his sermon at a traditional catholic marriage and it's very clear to the objective listener that attends that we catholic husbands are to love our wives as christ loves his church and as a result he delivered himself up for it so the logical deduction from that is that as our lord died for his church And as per the gospel, according to St. John, chapter 15, verse 13, which is, Greater love than this no man hath, than a man lay down his life for his friends. So a Catholic married man's best friend is certainly his wife. And if a husband is to love his wife, as instructed by Christ, 
He will be willing to give up his own life for her without hesitation. Now, on that note, Teresa, I know you know my life insurance policy is up to date, so don't get any ideas, please. (laughs) If I end up under a bus next week, I'm going to be asking some serious questions. (laughs) Interestingly, though, when you look at it, 80% of St. Paul's epistle is actually directed at the husband. It is an instruction from the great apostle telling husbands how to approach the role, but also tells us that in taking on this role and all its responsibilities, our priorities in life immediately change. A newly married man's priority is now focused on the new union into which he has just entered, and this means the family from which he came is no longer his prime concern. It's no longer his main priority. This is the two-in-one flesh thing. There's a reason he's asked to cleave to his wife. I'd also add that the things that he was primarily doing as a single man are also no, no longer his prime concern. Sports, selfish entertainment, going to the pub with his mates... His infatuation with cars, if he's that way inclined, especially work, should take a second priority as a means to the end. So work should be providing for the family, not just as a sort of career move. It often takes us men a while to get this and extract ourselves from the self-centred single life, I would think. Or was that just me? Yeah, it's just you, mate. <laughs> I mean, I've never been selfish. I've never been selfish like you, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> hey, can I have that last piece of cake, please? <laughs> No, I've, and I've always, I've also been humble and darn good at that as well. <laughs> Hang on, I'm actually starting to sound a bit like that bloke who thinks he's the Pope. Yeah. yeah there's a picture of humility. Quick, Phil, get me a bucket. <laughs> so what you're pretty much saying, Phil, is once you become a husband, there's no more mama's boy? Yes. <laughs> Bishop Fulton Sheen also wrote on this, and he said the following, which I think is quite thought-provoking. He said, quote, Sacred scripture in developing the mystery never tells wives that they must love their husbands, although husbands are bidden to love their wives. Rather, the wives are to be subject to their husbands, and this implies no civility, for there is this parallel. Christ loves the church, but it is for the church to submit to Christ. St. Paul is arguing from the divine to the human nuptials and not from the human to the divine. So, mate, yeah, I think you're spot on. We, We do have to change our ways when we get married, but it's all positive. Life does not end by any stretch. It simply takes on a whole new and exciting journey, which must end here in this life and start again in heaven with our best friend. Husbands can and should have their hobbies and should catch up with their Catholic mates, but never at the expense of the well-being of their families. Mm. It can take a while to strike the right balance, but with effort and a selfless heart, it is achievable. Mm. So getting back to the topic, in entering into this supernatural union and taking a wife, The husband is instructed by Holy Mother Church to love his wife as Christ loves his church, and his love is very different to that of non-Catholics. His is a supernatural love. His is a lifelong commitment as marriage is indissoluble. Unless, of course, Vatican II is your religion, in which case you can get an annulment as easy as getting bubble gum from a vending machine. Yeah, and probably not that much harder to get one from the uh, SSPX. (laughs) That's right. So the Catholic husband cherishes his wife, protects her, works with her to ensure their kingdom engenders security, confidence and catholicity through faith and piety. These are the two pillars of the family, as Bishop Sanborn preaches. This example that they give for each other and for their children is paramount. A Catholic husband makes sure to the best of his ability that his wife is happy, holy and has within his limitations everything she needs to function effectively as the queen of the home. So just as a footnote, I will often use the term Catholic husband. I often do this you know, as opposed to simply husband. I often do this because I, I think it's important to make the distinction between those who are both Catholic and husband 
and those in the world who are neither mm. of those. Mm. Those in a de facto relationship, yeah. pretending to be a husband yep. and wife, um, those who are legally recognised union, mm. seem to be referred to refer to themselves as partners. I mean, I even see um, properly married husbands and wives, or you know, supposedly married husbands and wives, still referring to themselves as partners. Yeah, it's usually the man, <clears throat> the man saying, "I'll have to check with my partner on that." <laughs> yeah, um, and then there's those other legal unions in some countries, most countries, which we won't mention now, of course. Um, because we might throw up. <laughs> I'll just. I've got the bucket handy, so yeah. go. we might need. You mentioned Bergoglio, or you know the um, the same sex unions. Will yeah, the, the bucket's Solomon's. ready to go? Anyway, these are examples of those who do not truly understand or value the importance of the role of the husband, and are in fact instrumental in destroying its critical importance in society, and of course in the mystical body of Christ. And on another note, I did use the term earlier, objective listener. Because for some reason, where I have attended a traditional Catholic wedding, and I'm not sure if you guys have found the same thing, mm. and where the priest quotes from Ephesians, and as read previously by Phil, there is a great display of selective hearing on the part of the feminists in attendance. You can always tell when there's a femo at a Catholic wedding. The femo seem to hone in on the words, let women be subject to their husbands, and it stops there. That's all they tend to hear. So then it starts, the huffing, <laughs> and the puffing, <laughs> To the point where I expect to hear them suddenly say, little pigs, little pigs, let me in. <laughs> you know, you, you can always see the mantillas of the women sitting in front of the femos. You know, when the huffing and the puffing starts, the mantillas start to raise from the top of their heads. <laughs> so I think that such people should either take that selfish little philosophical femo chip on their shoulder and put it on the shelf for one day or simply not attend. Such a display is unbelievably disrespectful. So for all you huffers and puffers out there, here's a tip. Listen to all of what the priest is saying because you might actually gain some perspective on the true relationship between the Catholic newlyweds. Well, unfortunately, I doubt any of the huffers and puffer families are going to be listening to the show. Well, you never know. Yes, well, it's possible. Well, it's so true that the St. Paul to the Ephesians is such a beautiful and crucial foundation. And it's just a really good explanation to the model that we have to based our whole marriage rolls on. Mm. So I do agree that those women that you mentioned, Damien, who in a tunnel vision sort of way, get on their high horse claiming that St. Paul is a male chauvinist or some sort, because he says that wives should be subject to the husbands, that they're just totally missing the point. That he's actually insisting that the husbands must love their wives in a particular way, which is a supernatural way. Mm. So there is a reciprocal responsibility of both partners in Catholic marriage. And there is no one-way street implication of wives being slaves to tyrannical husbands by any stretch. But you know, if that does happen, well, that's the duty of a husband who is operating contrary to the Catholic religion. So what we actually find is the Catholic Church, what, you know, what St. Paul's saying here is both spouses are held up to very exalted and very fulfilling roles. And there is actually nothing derogatory, nor, as they say, air quotes, dehumanizing, about St. Paul's commendation whatsoever. Yeah, I think we'd all like to have our own personal slave, but... Um, <laughs> oh, don't, don't you have one? <coughs> oh, well... Cup of tea, please, Teresa. <laughs> in, in seriously, you know, seriously uh, a man's wife's not his slave. She is or should be his best advisor and best friend, as Damien said. There's a few quotes I reckon are important for this part here. Pope Pius XI talks about the wife's subjection to the husband in his encyclical on Christian marriage. Casti Canubii is the, is the name of that uh, encyclical. 
Quote, this subjection does not deny or take away the liberty which fully belongs to the woman, both in view of her dignity as a human person and in view of her most noble office as wife and mother and companion. Nor does it bid her obey her husband's every request, if not in harmony with right reason or with the dignity due to wife. And he goes on. But it forbids that exaggerated liberty which cares not for the good of the family. It forbids that in this body, which is the family, the heart be separated from the head to the great detriment of the body. Yeah, that's a good one. And St. John Chrysostom also says, quote, Wouldst thou have thy wife obedient to thee as the church is to Christ? Take thou thyself the same provident care of her as Christ takes for the church. Yes, even if it shall be needful for thee to give thy life for her, yea, and to be cut to pieces 10,000 times, and to endure and to undergo any suffering whatsoever, refuse it not. A servant indeed, one will be able perhaps to bind down by fear, nay, not even him, for he will soon start away and be gone. But the partners of one's life, the mother of one's children, the foundation of all one's joy, one ought never to chain down by fear and menaces, but by love and good temper. For what sort of union is that where the wife trembles at her husband? And what sort of pleasure will the husband enjoy if he dwells with his wife as with a slave and not as with a free woman? You should suffer anything on her account. Do not upbraid her, for neither did Christ do this. Thus then, by your own language, teach her never to speak of mine and thine, and again, never call her simply by her name, but with terms of endearment, with honour, with exceeding affection. Honour her and she will not need honour from others. So there you go, femos out there. Put that one in your pipe and smoke it. Cut to 10,000 pieces is a bit, bit full on. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless... Hide, hide the knives. We, uh, well, my last little quote in this point is, um, once again, Pius XI, he speaks uh, and beautifully sums up the roles of husband and wife with this quote. For if the man is the head, the woman is the heart, and is he occupies the chief place in ruling... She ought to claim the chief place in love. It shows that the roles of husband and wife are complementary and within God's order for the family. And I suppose the church's point is that a marriage is a supernatural one, as you referred to earlier, Damien. And they've got different and mutual, but mutual and complementary roles for the husband and wife. You know, that two-in-one flesh concept. Love and mutual surrender of Christ and his church is the same model used by God for the love and mutual surrender of the husband and wife. And, of course, our blessed Lord has elevated it to be a sacrament. Yeah, well, that quote hits home on the true Catholic union, which is a sacrament. And what better way to undertake marriage but under the bond of God's divine grace? Mm. It's a crying shame, really, that many who enter into, this, into so-called marriage today have either no understanding of this free gift from heaven and therefore take no part in it, or they have no regard for it, but for those who do, through this sacrament, they receive special graces necessary to enable them to discharge their duties. So that which God bestows on them on the day of their wedding is a lifelong font of grace, which they can draw on in supporting each other to get closer to God, increase in virtue together, and finally be accepted into heaven. Hmm. That sounds good to me. And at this stage, we'd like to remind you that you're listening to The Catholic Home on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Teresa, and I'm joined by Damien and Phil. And today we've been discussing the head of the home being the husband and father. We want to remind you that the Catholic Home is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. 
So let's move on to our next subject, which is the duties of the husband as the head of the home. So Phil, can you please outline the duties of the husband for us? Well, there's no better place to go to find out what the church teaches than the catechism. So here's the catechism of the Council of Trent. It says, one, it is the duty of the husband to treat his wife generously and honorably. It should not be forgotten that Eve was called by Adam, his companion. The woman, he says, whom thou gavest me as a companion. Hence, it was according to the opinion of some of the holy fathers that she was formed not from the feet, but from the side of man, as on the other hand, she was not formed from his head in order to give her to understand that it was not hers to command, but to obey her husband. The second point that the catechism says is um, the husband should also be constantly occupied in some honest pursuit with a view to provide necessaries for the support of his family and to avoid idleness, the root of almost every vice. And the third point, he is also to keep all his family in order, to correct their morals, and see that they discharge their duties with fidelity. Yeah, it's a must to know these duties which the church teaches. And given the husband is the head of the home, and we can clearly see by the duties Phil just outlined that the husband is the one who is ultimately responsible for not just protection, you know, physical protection of his family, but also for the law and order within the home. But just as the fish rots from the head, so too the family unit is destined to fail, to rot, if the husband, the head of the home, does not perform these duties correctly. We see it all the time in business. If the business owner or CEO is not performing his duties correctly, the business will eventually fail. It's only a matter of time. The same applies to any organisation, even in the military. If an army is not well led, it may win the odd battle, but it will likely not win the war. It is important that we husbands therefore know what our duties are, what Christ expects of us. This is the first step to a successful Catholic home. The second step is to actually perform those duties in the manner in which Christ has prescribed, and this especially requires husbands to work efficaciously on temporal and spiritual matters, and in doing so, call on the assistance of God. So whilst the husband, or should I say the traditional husband, is the breadwinner, he should both understand and fulfil the duty of ensuring he is also winning graces for his family. Another excellent reference which I would recommend highly as it expands on this whole entire subject of the sacrament of matrimony, including, of course, the duties of husband and wife, is the Catechism Explained by Sparago Clark. If you haven't got a copy of that, um, look it up. Highly, re- highly recommended. So I would encourage, just on that point, married couples and those who intend to be married to do some research make yourselves aware of what holy mother church teaches in this regard what you will find though is that you through your research and of course it must be based on material which was produced before 1958 it'll show a completely opposite approach to that which this pagan freemasonic naturalistic world teaches us is the right path it must be opposite to what the church teaches because the modern world has no regard for virtue, sanctity or heaven. In fact, it has no regard for anything that is truly good. Yeah, and I don't know about you, Phil and Teresa, but in my experience, the husband of today, in general terms, is more focused on his temporal duties and he's not perhaps as concerned as he should be about the spiritual duties. Yeah, yeah it's, mm. it, well, it's in society today, a real drive towards um, this selfish fulfilment in the individual and it's... Yeah, it's. I think it's a primary temptation of the devil and the world to, you know, this fulfil your every desire concept. 
men are more prone, I think, uh, possibly to selfishness. Um, <laughs> uh, should I admit that? <laughs> we all know. Uh, but there, but this can become one of the indirect t- attacks on the role of the head of the home um, to to focus on this, um, you know, secular duties. I suppose we'll get into that later, but just think of the rapid change in the work environment, for example. There's a real blurring of the lines between work and home. You no longer clock on and clock off um, or, you know, eight to five or whatever it is. There's smartphones. You've got 24-hour emails, um, social media, sports, advertising, encouraging people to buy the latest gadget or do the latest thing. It all takes away from duty to God. Your duty of state, probably men are most susceptible to this temptation. Probably touch on this uh, when we get to the episodes on the father, but for me personally, that's actually why I got out of the whole corporate rat mm. race. Yeah, I uh, think it's going to be good to explore that a bit. Yeah, I, I think so. But um, I mean, look, every marriage is different. Let's face it, because every individual is different, and so that in itself can pose you know many challenges on the personal level for both husband and wife. Some say that marriage is about giving and taking, but I don't actually subscribe to that. I believe that marriage is simply about giving, and this is something that my father instilled in me. Of course, the natural consequence of a couple who both give is that both will receive. To that end, I believe a truly Catholic marriage is one where both husband and wife strive to be selfless. I did say strive because we do tend towards selfishness as a result of the effects of Hmm. original sin. So it is something we need to work on constantly, and I admit openly that Oh, I had to, and before Teresa makes a special comment, yes, I also know that I need to continue to work on that. <laughs> but is it not a consoling thought that those married couples in heaven are there because, with God's grace, they helped each other to achieve the heights of sanctity? Yeah. Ever so grateful one to the other for overlooking their many faults and failings and never giving up in the fight together for eternal life. It's a nice thought to be thanking each other for eternity, never losing sight of the fact that they made it together, don't you think? Absolutely. You know, you just, you've got to live your faith. Uh, as you said earlier, Damien, um, seek ye first the kingdom of God. This is what it's all about. Men and women married in the church receive the sacrament of matrimony, of course, which is... That's the spiritual resource, as you called it. There was the font of grace. Uh, it directs them on the path to heaven, if they correspond, of course, with that grace. So we all need to understand that we're participating in a privileged sacrament. What did St. Paul call it? The great sacrament. So we have a duty to help each other as husbands and wives, not only in the secular activities, but also in the spiritual life. Participate in God's plan together, and it will strengthen your faith as a family and help in all those practical aspects of raising the kids, etc., so here's another quote of Pius XI from his encyclical on Catholic marriage, and I think it captures it nicely. Quote, Their love, then, is not that based on the passing lust of the moment, nor does it consist in pleasing words only, but in deep attachment of the heart which is expressed in action, since love is proved by deeds. It must have as its primary purpose that man and wife help each other day by day in forming and perfecting themselves in the interior life so that by their partnership in life they may advance ever more and more in virtue, and above all that they may grow in that true love towards God and their neighbour, on which dependeth the whole law and the prophets. For all men of every condition, in whatever honourable walk of life they may be, can and ought to imitate the most perfect example of holiness placed before man by God, namely Christ our Lord, and by God's grace arrive at the summit of perfection, as is proved by the example of many saints." 
So you can see it's just so important for married people to actually read these encyclicals and read these catechisms, these adult catechisms, which explain the, what it's all about. So, mm. Well, Teresa, just on that. Yeah. You know, we often say, well, you know, there's no handbook. You know, when, when <laughs> uh, you know, people get married and, and uh, it's all great with the wedding and the bells and the smells and it's all wonderful, honeymoon, yay, yay. Uh, and then over time, then the work starts. Yeah. And it's just a fact. But, you know, there really is a lot of resource that we can draw on. I mean, mm. first and foremost, the sacrament itself, the sacrament of marriage, those special graces that we receive. But also, you know, there really is a, a huge amount of material out there. Yeah. So we shouldn't just think that once we're married, that's it. We just get on with it. I mean, there really is a lot of resource that we can draw on to help us to answer the questions. And, and uh, yeah, I just think it's worth mentioning that. And revisiting this these uh, references regularly throughout a married life and not just at the beginning. So I suppose we should move on to our third discussion point, which is the current day attacks on the role of husband. <laughs> Would you say that the role of the husband is under attack these days, should, Phil? Should we strike in the, you or know... is that just a no-brainer? These were the music. Should we say that the role of the husband is under attack? Is Vatican II the counterfeit church? Here's where the rubber hits the road. Absolutely no doubt. And we all know, of course, who's initiating these attacks. It's Satan. He's the prince of the world. He's using all the resources of the world uh, available to him to attack the family and the head of the home. As Damien said, there are so many attacks against the role of the husband, but it makes perfect sense that this is the case, of course, because... There is a distinct parallel regarding attacking the head throughout history. Adam in the Garden of Eden is an example of that. An attack on the husband through his wife. Judith is a good example. Judith in the Old Testament shows by cutting off the head of the enemy general uh, Holofernes, I think his name is. Um, uh, I think that's the way we pronounce it anyway. She waits um, until he's drunk and sleeping. Then she kills him by cutting off his head and, of course, striking at the head of the army, the army scattered. So while Judith was a heroine for God uh, in the Old Testament, this is a parallel to what the devil is doing to mankind now and has been doing, I suppose, since um, since the fall. He always likes to plagiarise, doesn't he? Yeah. Can't come up with an original idea. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, we've seen what Satan has done to the church by usurping the role of the Pope, a direct attack on the head of the church with the ultimate aim of destroying the souls in the church. Satan always strikes at the head because if you can destroy the head, the sheep will scatter, and they have. So as the husband is the head of the home, that's where Satan is going to concentrate his efforts to finally destroy our families and try to win our family's souls. If you look back at the role of the traditional husband, the role today is not the same as the role that husbands played 100 years ago. No way. And the difference is what it's a 180-degree flip. Mm. Um, if, if we look at what we've just spoken about, the, the true and correct role of the husband and his duties, that's not the role which anyone in this modern world would recognise or even accept. I reckon this has come about because over the years, husbands have not attended to their duties as they should have. They've allowed themselves to be overcome, and that as a result, they've allowed the role to be diluted and diminished to the point where the husband has, I think, across the board, lost his identity. Man's naturally selfish nature, through that, uh, you know, through original sin, man has become what we now call modern as a result of giving in to the temptations of the world and participating now for centuries, probably, in Satan's plan. It's interesting what you say about the 180-degree flip on, uh, you know, the role of husband. I, mean, I guess the next thing that Bergoglio and his cronies are going to do is 
have another synod, a nod to sin on the family <laughs> and redefine what husband means, just like they've tried to redefine everything else. So, yeah. you know, you Especially can ex- marriage. Yeah, you can yeah. expect a 180 degree flip on that particular definition. Mm. Mm. Good point. So, and now, David, do you have any comments in addition to what you've just made on the attacks against the role of the husband, or is that all? No, well, I completely agree with Phil. These attacks are not going to stop, and we just have to face that fact. It's up to us Catholic husbands who wish to keep the identity of the traditional husband alive, and we all should wish for this. To have an action plan, and that plan must be implemented and continually assessed and updated within our own homes. It needs to be updated from time to time because the devil never sleeps. He never stops concocting new and innovative ways of corrupting us all. We husbands are required to defend our true and correct role. We know this for a fact because we are instructed by God to fulfill the role. So if we are living the role correctly, then we are actually defending it. Mm. Society desperately needs to reinstate the traditional role of the husband if order is to be achieved. And whilst it seems to be a pipe dream, that order will one day be restored and our contribution to the restoration is very clear. We must play our part by ensuring the traditional role is actually carried out in our own home. That is Mm. so true. Mm. And Phil, can you help out our listeners here by giving some specific examples about the types of attacks that they're going to be up against, that you're all up against? Well, just look at the environment. I'm not talking about Bergoglio's recyclical, or as Damien puts it, the I'm cyclical. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm talking about, of course, the modern world world and what Bishop Sanborn preaches are as the faithlessness of the world. It's promoting an attack on the husband through an attack on manhood, manliness, if you like. Now, look, the world's tribalist and pagan. Look at the number of men, but also women, might I add, alarmingly, who are heavily tattooed like a Samoan tribesman. This <laughs> Nowadays, they've got sleeves that's so pagan, you know. That's so, what do they call the ones that, that take over the entire leg? What do they call it, a pant? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, is it true that there's an industry where you can forward sell your tattooed skin, which will be later used as a lampshade? <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> <clears throat> There'd need to be a significant upgrade in the power of the light bulb to push light through some of the tats you see nowadays. <laughs> I've often wondered, you know, you see a bloke with a big, you know, with a, with a car tattooed on his, on his arm. And when he turns 85, it, it probably looks like a bus or something, you know? <laughs> or it's yeah. saggy. It looks like a jalopy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, look, look we're digressing. Um, but it, look, it is um, quite bad. The um, especially the number of women of that you see with who are heavily tattooed, oh, even just and in the and last even, five years, even thirteen, fourteen year old children. It's just yeah, gone ballistic. And if the fathers of the home and they're doing their jobs, we wouldn't have this tat epidemic, that's, would we? That's the yeah, point. That's absolutely. The point. So liberalism. Rampant materialism, it's all driven by the devil through the organised forces of naturalism. There's the Freemasonic agenda, you know. It all promotes and encourages selfishness in the individual. This contradicts the fulfilment of your duties of state, which is selflessness, especially as a husband, which Damien was talking about. If you consider our natural tendency towards vice and, and couple that with the fact that we've not had a true vicar of Christ for 50 years, Christian culture has been decimated. And there's this immense pressure on the modern catholic man to conform he's in a battlefield make no mistake everywhere we husbands turn we've got the work environment shopping center television internet movies books newspapers magazines so on we get the message to do what makes one feel good Mm -hmm. consequences be hanged 
oh, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, I can do what I like. Yeah, you know, how yeah, many but, times have we heard that? Yeah, and, and you know, we don't mind hurting God. Yeah, yes. But, but you know, we can't hurt our fellow man. No. Goodness, so, the dignity of man. <laughs> Doing this, um, men, everyone really, but strike at the head and you kill the body, men are culturally encouraged to be selfish. Though, of course, those exact words are never used. There's an expectation to conform to these norms of society. And this is this is part of the attack, especially in a young man. He gets the pressure from his friends and peers, you know, even his parents in a lot of cases. Uh, these sayings ring any bells for potential and current husbands out there? Hey, come on, mate. You need time to yourself. How about a night out with the boys? You, go, you can go out alone, can't you? You don't have to take your wife everywhere, do you? Or I just went and bought a brand new, you know, fill in the blank, fishing tackle, iPad, stereo, gym equipment, car, boat, house, etc. Wife. Wife. <laughs> <laughs> oops. Mail order brides, yeah. But, you know, that saying is coupled with, oops, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention it. I know you can't afford it. What with your wife not working and all those kids at home? Oh, you poor thing. Just because you're married doesn't mean you're dead. I mean, you have a right to your own life. All these things, you know, you've got how many kids? How do you afford them? You know, those, there's all these pressures there. Yeah, I know what you're saying, Phil. I'm actually thinking of writing the handbook on responses to dumb questions from dinks, you know, double income, <laughs> no kids, and other inquisitive types as opposed to the Catholic husband. Hmm. I remember about 10 years ago when Teresa visited some family in the US and I, I took some time off to look after the five. We had five kids at the time. Mm-hmm. I needed to get a haircut, so I yeah. dropped the kids off at uh, one of my relatives houses and uh i went off to the shopping center to get a haircut and the lady who was cutting my hair was like you know it was one of those hairdresser shops or whatever yeah, they yeah, yeah. i think they were greek all the yeah. women in there you know you could sort of the, the hair was sort of puffed up like a like a beehive you know and <laughs> anyway um I'm, I'm getting my hair cut and she starts to sort of strike up a conversation and she says you know, so are you going back to work after this? I said, oh, look, actually, I'm, I'm on holidays at the moment. I've got the kids with some friends, so I'm I'm just getting a haircut. Oh, you've got kids, mate. How many kids do you have? <laughs> I said, oh, you know, I've got five. And I mean, I, I only had five at the time. Well, half of what we've got, got now. Ten, yeah. <laughs> she goes, she looks over at one of her friends cutting someone else's hair. She says, oh, my gosh, Maria, you hear this guy, mate? He's got, like, five children, mate. <laughs> You know, and she, then, then, it all, the oh, yeah, then it all starts. Oh, how much money do you earn, mate? What sort of car do you drive? How big is your house, mate? How does it work, mate? How do you make it work? It's like, And how much does it cost when you take them out to McDonald's? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I say, well, you know what? If you don't feed them and you don't clothe them, they don't cost you that much, really. <laughs> and as far as the car, well, if you've got a roof rack, you can always fit three up there. Yeah. You know. <laughs> But, I mean, you're right. It's cultural reinforcement of selfishness, a contempt against the sacrament of matrimony. It's seen as a burden. And, of course, that's an insidious swipe against the man and his wife. I mean, the man's um, friends, workmates, etc., are, are really saying when they say these sorts of things, um, or people they meet, it's your wife's fault you don't go out with the guys or can't have a new car or enjoy any freedom. You let her control you with her need for your attention, all those kids she keeps having and all your money it takes to support them all. I mean, that's the kind of messages that Mm. they're sending. These remarks could make a man begin to resent his family waiting for him at home. And the poor man doesn't really know why he's suddenly a little bit discontented. Um, And that all adds to that cultural shift. And then, of course, there are those who deep down know that they're not living in accordance with the natural law and um, get the guilt for not having the children they should have had and their excuse, we can't afford more children, 
but that's a discussion probably for another time. Mm. You, know, you know what's interesting about that is that the people that make these statements are actually the ones generally that are under the thumb themselves. Yeah. Like, why are you not at home, mate? Why are you always pushing to be out with the boys? What, exactly. You know? If they had a happy home life, why do they want to That's be right. down the pub every yeah. night after work? Yeah. Why don't they want Indeed. to go home? That's right. I mean, there are always these telltale signs. I see it in business where, you know, a manager who is a bit of a tyrant, mm. often with his wife, he's like a little lamb. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's just so, so true. It, it is. So if any of the listeners are interested in reading a book, though, which describes all this perfectly, I highly recommend a book called The Kingship of Christ and Organised Naturalism by Father Dennis Fay. Pick it up and you won't put it down. It was written around the 1920s. It's a very easy read, which explains that Satan was the first naturalist and that naturalism is the affirmation of the autonomy and self-sufficiency of human nature. And we're witnessing that Original today. Sin. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this work explains how our modern world has come about. Please read it. You'll be glad you did. I've got to admit, I haven't read it, so I'm, that's my next on my list. But further to the discussion, there's the reciprocal pressures on life in general that minimises manhood, the modern ideology on how to run your family, manliness is anathema to the world. Don't be a real man. Be an effeminate, soft, sensitive, <laughs> new-age guy like me and make the time to wedge in some quality time with your family. I mean, what is that quality time? I'll tell you what it is. It's a fallacy and a throwaway line. It just goes to show that simply spending time with the family is pretty much secondary to work and your U-time. I mean, how can that be right? Yeah, that's the whole selfishness mm. push, isn't it? You know, it's all about you, Damien. Yeah, it's all about me and all my other priorities in life, yeah. which is me. <laughs> and one of my personal favourites, though, where people allude to that, you know, your family's not normal. Your kids are not involved in organised sport or take dancing lessons or listen to modern music or, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, Maria. They don't even go, they don't even go to a school. Man, you are a 3D loser, dude. We all witness, and I reckon there might be the odd listener who also takes part in the Saturday or Sunday pilgrimage to the sports field for hockey, netball, basketball, football, or what have you. There's also a pressure to keep up in detail with what is happening politically. I mean, seriously, what's the point in being interested in spending time following the political soap opera? I personally have no time for these egocentric, self-promoting prima donna puppets who are paid actors really that's what they are pushing satan's agenda and patriotism is another one which has been twisted a desire to get involved in the direction of your country is a virtue we know that but these days unless you are elated about the latest free trade agreement Mm. or new federal law which legally allows people to take part in depravity things that they would have been locked up for 20 years ago then you are not a true patriot Mm. I know I'm jumping from one thing to the next, but you know that's actually it's actually a parallel with today's society. Pure oh, chaos you, by design. You get me started. Um, what about the encouragement towards role reversal? Oh. Uh, I've lost count of the time amount of times at work where I've seen women under pressure as the primary breadwinner, and it's applauded by everybody. Yeah. Oh, it's great to see that Jeff Frank or Jerry or whoever is taking on the role of house husband, so that Charlotte, Michelle, whatever her name is, can go back to work. And the laws here in Australia, I'm sure they're the same everywhere else. Some are providing for subsidies for childcare, generous maternity leave entitlements, encouraging women back to work. And who gives a hoot about the kids? There's just mm. a burden. You know, these kids are just a burden or a possession. 
And the woman is looked at as strange if she's a stay-at-home mum. And there's also, I know this really is probably more for the, the Catholic wife and mother show, but there's this whole thing that they started a number of years ago about these super mums or super moms, yeah. if you're American, and there's this society promotes that, wow, this person has this magnificent career, she's, she's doing great and she's in a managerial role mm-hmm. or some such, and she's also got, you know, 1.2 children. <laughs> and for anyone who's a stay-at-home mom is, is sort of looked down upon as, you're not a super mom, mm. you're, you're, you're a loser. But the reality is this super mom thing is a total myth because the woman who is working out in the world who's, you know, climbing that, that corporate ladder is not a successful mother in home because it's actually it's absolutely impossible. Mm. You cannot have your focus so divided so it, it's a myth there is none of this super mum thing let's check out where our kids are in 20 years yes and you often see this might be some you know famous movie star you know just had a baby and she's there and there's a baby with the bottle stuck in her mouth i'm not having to go at people who can't nurse but you know yeah. straight away this of course you can be back there on that magazine cover mm. because you've got three babysitters yeah, who are doing everything for you mm. and that child's in daycare from the age of two days old yeah. and that's the interesting thing you know you know, the the women that go... To, and look, there are some women that have to go to work and support their family because circumstances are such that they have no choice. But, you know, that does happen. But then there are those that do have a choice and they choose to go the other way. You know, I've got a customer that I've done some work for in recent times, uh, a female customer, and uh, she asked me to come over on a, on a particular day to do the work. She's the sort of customer that wants to be there when you're doing the work, which is fine. You know, she said, oh, look, I can't be there next Wednesday, so can we make it Tuesday? And I said, look, that's no problem. She said, the problem with Wednesday for me is that's the day that I work. And I said, well, okay. She said, yeah, I, I, work, I work one day a week because... I'm too embarrassed to say that I'm a stay-at-home mum. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, my gosh. And I said, well, what's there to be embarrassed about? It's one of the most important roles that, that a woman can undertake. It's, if not the most important the role most, that yeah. a woman can undertake. But she's so ashamed to say that she's a stay-at-home mum. Mm. That's the sort of stigma that society puts now. But I reckon that would be the same with many women out there. Mm. It's this, it's the, the pressure. Mm. Yeah, but anyway, your... probably getting a bit off topic. Yeah, because it's, we are yeah. off topic. But yeah, that's your fault, Teresa. You, you started it, okay. right? And and the men, we're going to finish it because <laughs> we're the heads of our home. But look, as you said, there's pressures that go against things which are contrary to our nature. I mean, against it's against the law to use corporal punishment on kids. Mm. Kids are encouraged to leave home and are all given education on so-called child abuse, which essentially is any time the parents exert some mm. discipline. Yeah. On the kids, you know, and let's face it, you discipline your kids if you love them. But again, we'll get onto that in the next show. What about the real child abusers? I mean, they're above the law, so to speak, and not brought to justice in this world. And mm. The children have all the rights and the parents have none. It's this, as you said, Phil, it's this reversal of everything, mm. the role reversal. It's also considered an offence to correct your wife or even guide her with what to wear. This subject brings to mind a quote from the great convert to Catholicism, G.K. Chesterton. It's a quote about the secretary, and he says, quote, 10,000 women marched through the streets shouting, we will not be dictated to. And then they went off and all became stenographers, unquote. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to tell you this one. Um, this is a great example. As you know, I work in, in government, in public service, and there's this current fad at the moment in Australia. It's a thing uh, called White Ribbon Day. 
It's a movement designed to speak out against domestic violence with the sense that many women are being beaten up by men and too afraid to speak out. In this movement, men are pressured into swearing an oath against domestic violence, identifying it, speaking out against it, and dobbing in someone who's perceived to be a perpetrator. Now, don't get me started on the swearing an oath thing. This movement defines... In other ways, domestic violence, um, it's in a really interesting way, apart from the obvious actual violence, which, of course, we'd never espouse. We've already spoken about the way a Catholic husband should treat his wife. But domestic violence in this, according to this official definition, includes promoting the traditional roles of men and women. That's violence. Financial oppression, emotional abuse, whatever that means, and telling your wife what she should wear. It's just blatant. So being a senior manager, I was approached by um, one of my you know, people in my team and I was encouraged to go and lead the way as an example to other staff to attend this, uh, this White Ribbon Day celebration swearing in thing. I had to tell my colleague that it was not within my values to swear an oath on matters outside a courtroom or some other grave occasion. He looked at me with like suspicion, like, because I wouldn't do it, I must be a perp as well. So there's all that pressure. His look said it all, you know. That's interesting, Phil, because what you said, you know, it includes promoting the traditional roles of men and women. And that's considered domestic violence. Yeah. If you promote the traditional roles of men and women. It's oppression. You you are, that's right, it's oppression. I mean, okay, so what's financial oppression? Oh, dear, dear, um, I'm not going to give you the credit card this week. (laughs) What's, what's emotional abuse? Oh, dear, please, can I have my dinner? I mean, yeah. what is this? This, this is where it's gone. No. This is what we're living through. Yeah, I know. We have but, to deal with it. But, uh, but talking of work, um, work is the worst place. Um, there's this expectation that you're to work longer hours than what you're paid for, and the work keeps coming. So you, so that when you come back from holidays, for example, you've essentially got two weeks of work to catch up on. I mentioned before that you know there's this expectation to do more and more work, even at home. That blurring of the lines between work and home. Almost all of my colleagues at the equivalent level talk about doing emails at home once the kids have gone to bed. We've all got smartphones and we're constantly getting hit by text messages, phone calls, emails. I'm sure I've got like six or seven new emails since we've been... And this is a weekend we're doing this on. Um, there's that unspoken expectation that it's a like a 24-7 commitment. And as a result, work constantly occupies your headspace. And if you let it take hold, there is no time for the family, mm. even when you're at home. That's the interesting <clears throat> point there, Phil. Occupies your headspace. Mm. So you can't, as much as we'd all like to, you can't just switch on and off from work to home like switching a yeah. light on and off. Just for the list, the benefit of the listeners, I know a lot of this sounds like, whoa, this is all so negative. But there are a massive amount of positives which we'll point out. But it's key to... To just share this, we mm. all experience the same thing or have experienced the same thing. And one of the reasons we're going through all this is to essentially outline that you're not alone as we are not alone in all this and that we all understand. We're all in this together mm. and there is an understanding. But to get back to that that headspacing, that was always a big thing for me when I was in the corporate rat race because mm. at home, I just I was I never felt pretty much at ease and I thought I did. But then mm. when I got out of it, I didn't. And why? Because my head was always full of work. Yep. Never stopped thinking of work. It, and it wasn't something that I could. I, I believe that I could actually control. You, as well you don't as have, it. Yeah, it's not a conscious, it's a, not a deliberate thing. It's, it's involuntary. It's always things could, it's, because you want to do a good job. Mm. Um, 
it's it's always in you, mm. and it's always you're you're consistently trying to solve the problems of the day or the week or, or work. And got that deadline. It's that, that diabolical right. noise when no one has has time for God. That's right, and it's Satan's design. You see, if you occupy with all of that, then there is no time for God. There's no time for your family, mm. and of course, part of that filling your headspace also, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, is being plugged in. To, yeah, to the world, yeah. you know. But anyway, well, sorry but, for but, we, No, no, this is a good conversation. But when when we're at work, we, we get this, you know, the conversations with people at work. You get the message that we're going, sort of us men are going above and beyond the call of duty. And this is in a judgmental way towards the wife mm. when we work and support the family without, of course, her working. This anti-culture even tells us that it's all well and good if a man wants to be married. You know, so far, marriage is still sort of socially acceptable. But the inference from my experience is that it's a secondary concern, not primary. You know, um, like we live to work, not the other way around. Since a man has to work to support his family, the majority of his waking hours are spent with his colleagues, people who, if we're given the choice... We would avoid probably like the plague. <laughs> They're pretty much all heavily influenced by this society today. Unless every person a Catholic man works with is also of the same bent. Good luck with that one. It's only a matter of time before even minute details of your life sort of start to become known, questioned, and then they start to challenge them. And that's more pressure on that man, you know. So mm. Yeah, that's right. It's a textbook analogy. Well, going back to what you were saying before about the, you know, about your your primary focus is supposed to be your work and then your wife and family. I recall when we first got married, Dammer, that the one of your some brigadier or some high up officer made it quite clear. You have to understand that Damien is married to the army first and to you second. And I thought, oh, that's what you think, buddy. Yeah, that was well, a, well, that was a that was I never agreed with that because <laughs> he wasn't quite as pretty as you are. No, that was <laughs> what oh. they made very, very clear. When you marry Damien, you marry the army, and he's married to the army first, and he's married to you second. And I thought, that... Well, that was an inside joke in the army. They, they used to say, um, if the army wanted you to have a wife, they would have issued you with one of the sword. <laughs> well, I think it was the best thing that both of you guys got out of the army because it's probably not quite as bad in the workplace as it was there. God's will, I but think. It's still not, yeah, it's still not ideal. Providential. Oh, that's where yes. we met and, and um, my conversion took place. That's another story. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, back to the program. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I was going to say is that it is, it's a textbook analogy, but where God is not, man will replace him with some other false religion. And that was probably what I was alluding to earlier. Mm. You know, some worldly pursuit, for instance, which is for the good of man, generally for himself, another naturalistic push. But a husband who loves his wife and children and is happy to welcome more children into the home, that's an important point, who wants and pursues the Catholic way of life, takes his family to Mass, actually prays often outside of the Mass and tries to spend as much time with his family as he can, can expect to face both insidious and outright temptations. That's just a fact. We've got to accept that. His co-workers might think it's okay, if not a little strange, that he allows his wife to stay at home and nurture the children. But there are always comments and snide remarks about the traditional home. And the interesting Mm. thing about that, too, is isn't it funny how you're talking about the white ribbon Mm. bizzo there, Phil, and, you know, the traditional, denouncing the traditional roles of husband and wife. But often it is the actual husband who does force, by the way, the mm-hmm. wife to go to work. For material yeah. For material gain. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. right. We know it's against her nature. I had an example it. like that where I had a person who worked directly for me um, as an assistant 
And she was starting to crumble in her personal life because of exactly that pressure. She she had just had a baby and had come back from work, had come, sorry, come back from home from maternity leave back to, to work for me. And of course, we were forced by law to actually hold a job open for them. And it really came down through all this um, dialogue we had. She felt the pressure by her husband to come back to work and she didn't want to. She wanted to be with her her well, babies isn't that doesn't that really more fit in with emotional that is emotional emotional abuse, abuse yeah right. and, and what is it contrary to what the catholic church teaches absolutely mm-hmm. yeah there's and, there's your 180 degree yeah. and so the, it, this all comes about from those little comments and side and snide sort of little remarks that everybody makes that pushes you to fit in with yeah. this yeah thinking. that's right you're being in and of the world yeah 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 i mean you know questions like what does your wife do with herself all day Oh, well, yeah. um, she just happens to be homeschooling 10 children. You guys uh, homeschool? How does that work? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. You want the teacher? Yeah. Yeah, well, <clears throat> yes. Um, yeah, because she teaches the faith primarily and everything else takes the back seat. And there's that one, that, that oh, gotcha. What about socialisation of the children? Oh, yes, your kids are social rejects. You, Do know, you think I, just, I want my children to socialise with those children? <laughs> are you kidding me? Well, you know, if if the definition of normal by modern day standards, that's what is expected, then I'm very glad that my children are far from normal and I hope to keep it that way. But after a few words of polite defence or, you know, there there are some people that you, I won't use the word attack, but (laughs) I don't tend to suffer a lot of that gladly, I have to admit, because it's not an attack on me, it's an attack on my wife. Mm. And ultimately, an attack on God, mm. and I have a right, I have a duty to defend God and my wife, my family. Mm. People soon realise that they had best not speak out against our lifestyles, or they'll hear about it. They'll mm. they'll cop it back. Um, and I know anti discrimination laws; that's not well, an issue. They can work for us too, you know. It's it can be religious mm-hmm. you know, discrimination. Well, that's that's <clears throat> that's true too. That's true too. But we Catholic men have to try and work and get along with these people. That's the other thing, or else it would become an untenable situation. And you know, mm. we do have to put food on the table. Mm. So even for the best, the risk is that the workplace will wreak havoc on a man's spiritual and family life. But it will only do this if he allows it to be so. Yeah. So what we're essentially saying is that as soon as the husband steps out of the home, he's under attack. And the sad fact is that most men, I reckon, are now blind to it. He's a he's a frog in a pot of water on a slow boil as the temperature you know rises up. He doesn't notice the change until all of a sudden he's surrounded by steam and hot bubbles, and before he knows, it, he's cooked. Mm. So, Damien, you were talking about knowing our enemy and understanding that there is a conspiracy driven by Satan. And that, you know, he's attacking the head of the home. It's a global conspiracy. Unless the well-intentioned Catholic husband is aware that this conspiracy exists, he will unfortunately be overcome and lose his soul and the souls of his family. I think it's that bad now. Yeah. Well, well, this goes back to your military analogy. The first rule of warfare is know thy enemy. Yeah. If you don't realise this is happening, how can you protect yourselves against it? But anyway, Yeah, well, well no, that, that's it. I mean, what Phil's saying is in my opinion, 100% correct. And the only way to, to counter the enemy is to have the action plan I alluded to earlier. The plan starts with understanding the strategy of the enemy himself and protecting the sanctuary of the home by not allowing the outside world in, especially you know all forms of media, a good example. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that it is our duty to go off the grid because due to the circumstances of each family, 
that's not often possible, but something which is not only possible, but which I definitely do advocate is to unplug from the evil forces which we allow to enter into our homes. More on that later, but it's such a critical point. Mm. But the strategy of our enemy is to use his resources to change the way we think, and in doing so, he has actually changed culture. And he's done this to assist with his own objectives. Mm. Satan drives that which have become accepted norms in the world. And for those who struggle to see that these accepted norms are specifically designed to undermine the Christian family, especially the role of its leader, the father, well, those in that situation are either in denial or they don't care or just as Phil mentioned, they're the cooked frog. Well, Bishop Sandwell often talks about the media. Uh, It's one of the pomps of Satan, he calls it. I think it's the autobahn, the high-speed highway of um, ideological and social change propagandised by our secularist and liberal liberal governments. The state enlists the help of this media very cleverly, I think, almost like it's a priesthood, as it were, preaching, uh, among other things, that the state is the only legitimate authority that exists in society. Hmm. Think that, you know, separation of church and state, which is condemned by the church, of course, for good reason. But that's, you know, widely accepted everywhere, this whole notion of separation of church and state. But it's led to the deification of the state as the saviour of mankind, you know, the moral authority. Well, that, And there's the conspiracy, <coughs> ooh, ooh, the C word again. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And, you know, I hate to burst the bubble of any listeners who say there is no such thing as a conspiracy because that's like saying there's no Satan or there's no crisis in the church. Really? Well, then who, who drove the moral code to where it is today? What, it just happened that yeah. way? <laughs> if that is what people think then look i encourage them to do some more research i mean here's a good start look up the protocols of the elders of zion and the plan for world domination that's that's (laughs) a good start point i mean come on i mean look at look at political so-called rights driving ideological and social agendas as phil said through the legal system and the media and it's a finely tuned machine you know this is a well-organized system it has not just happened These rights are the ultimate good, and asserting these rights is the ultimate virtue. And to go against these rights is viewed as a capital sin. You know, the masses are propagandised continuously through the mainstream media. New rights are continuously and incrementally created and imposed to replace traditional Christian values. Traditions are now considered as anti-rights. It's not seen as a virtue, but as a vice, as a social sin Mm. and a crime against the sacred state-sanctioned rights. And if you follow the pretend Pope of the day and hail him as your Holy Father, then you will also believe that the true tradition of the Catholic Church is changed. I mean, Mm. that's that's what Bergoglio says. Tradition... In the Catholic Church is changed. That's what our tradition is. I mean, yeah. you know, what a, another lie for him and his Protestant Church to notch up on the noose, you know, that he uses to hang Catholics. Yeah, I'll just look at his. Um, I'm cyclical. <laughs> well, that's it. But I think there's no better example than um, feminism. Quote: There is no greater sin today than the practice of patriarchal rights, because there is no nothing so grievous as to sin against feminist rights. Uh, unquote, and it's so true. Feminist rights—they've been given this flavour of social righteousness, and um, of course, backed by the power of the state, propagandised, pushed by the mass media. It's like an infection through society, like a pandemic with no cure. That's right. You know, the role of husband as head of the home has been the target in in terms of this feminism. As we said before, traditions which were the norm fifty or hundred years ago have the ignorant 
modern man on edge. He's afraid of saying something politically incorrect and someone screaming and pointing at him, you know, discrimination. Feminism, I think, has killed the, you know, the manly man. Absolutely. In my current work, I'm, as a tradesman, really, I'm out there grinding stumps out of the ground and I deal with a lot of, you know, soul of the earth blokes and, you know, most of them are good blokes. But it's, what is interesting is just the cultural shift. Ten years ago, if uh, if you mentioned something about if someone called you gay, like oh, don't you call me that, yeah, mate, yeah. you know. But you've got to be careful now when you're talking even to these, you know, to these hardened tradies, yeah. because I had a situation <laughs> recently where I bought a new machine, and I was speaking to the chap that I bought the machine from, and and. I brought up, I don't know, the conversation took on a particular, went down a particular stream and I mentioned something which was, uh, you know, where someone was discriminated against by simply saying that they didn't want their children to be educated by a homosexual. Yeah. And And he said, oh, yeah, you know, and I thought he was agreeing with me. But he wasn't. He was agreeing with the notion of Yeah, he was saying, oh, yeah, you know, let, you know, live and let live, mate. You know, that's right. I mean, you know, that shouldn't happen. You know, he should be taken to task. And I'm going, what? I mean, so, look, I think yours is a good good quote there, Phil. We've got to face the fact that we blokes are subject to attacks from everywhere. And feminism is, it is a catalyst. I think it's the conceiver of modern views of what is accepted today in society. All of the attacks we've just been talking about. I know that the history of all the things that are wrong in the world today stems back to even as far back as the 13th century. The Root of the Rot, there's a shameless yeah. plug for another great show. on will start listening to that one yeah. again. Yeah, that, that, mm. it's a great show, highly <clears throat> recommended. But a lot of the momentum for what most people view as acceptable today, the world being a spiritual leper colony, <laughs> godless and faithless, is rooted in feminism. Yeah. But that's the heart of the strategy of Satan. You see, I mean, in the world, in the outside world, any wonder the good Catholic man can't wait to return home to the sanctuary. That is his home, you know, where he can let his guard down and recharge so that he can get up and go out into the battlefield again the next day. Hmm. And that in itself is a positive. It, that is a positive for, hmm. for Catholic men, for the, the head of the home, to want to come home to his family. Hmm. But if that Catholic man comes home from work and the TV's blaring the kids are on the internet and the wife is reading one of the latest women's magazines he's not coming home to the sanctuary he thought he was it's the you know the devil's already breached his fortress through infiltration and sad to say it's his fault yeah absolutely um so if he if a good catholic husband has a wife and children who are sort of like plugged in allowing themselves to be infected by the world he is failing in his duty to protect them Remember, it's not just physical protection which we are required to provide, but more importantly, it's spiritual protection. This is this is paramount. So he'll be constantly fighting to undo the effects of the world on, on his family or succumbing to them himself. And while he may have fought a great and virtuous fight while he was out at work, he comes home and he's allowed Satan to infiltrate his home. And in such an instance, he's fighting a losing battle at home. This infiltration should be obvious to those men who sincerely, you know, want to carry out their duties in, in keeping all, all the fa- his family in order to correct their morals and see that they discharge their duties with fidelity. It should be obvious, but it's often not. And just on that, I, I recall a conference, I, I believe it was Bishop Sanborn. He was talking to the parents of children 
that were, you know, attending his school. Mm. And he said to the parents, if you allow your children to watch television, Mm. don't send them to my school. Because any good work that we do during the day will be undone as soon Mm. as they get home and turn that thing on. And I admit that if someone had said to me 15 years ago, oh, you've got to get the television out of your home, mate. You're letting the devil in. I know that at that time I would have thought, that's a bit over the top. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's normal to have thing. a television, Phil. Yeah. What are you talking about, the footy mate? and footy the news and, and the cricket and... Casual movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Can't do without the telly, mate. You know, yeah. that that's my downtime. That's, that's TV from our, for our American viewers. That's right, TV. <laughs> <All the listeners. laughs> but I've, I've learned over the years through research and, and we see the effects. And, again, I'm sort of crossing over to the, the family episode that we're mm-hmm. going to do. So I'll... I'll I'll pretty much leave it at that. But needless to say, listeners do hear the next couple of programs Mm -hmm. on this topic because we're going to cover a lot of material and there's some really good stuff in there that that can help you. Mm. Um, So we've got these other... Let's do a bit of a list of some of the other things that the husband is up against. I think our our, our, um, listeners, Teresa, are going to get the point, but let's just do a bit of a list. So... Non-Catholic discussion content at work, which includes, you know, horrendous blasphemies and filthy jokes. Mm. There's, there's what, you know, that's it's something the husband's up against. Yeah, and just on that, Phil, though, we Catholics... I'm sorry about that joke before too, Damien. What's that? <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, what is interesting is, you know, and we Catholics, is that not a great opportunity for us mm. to pull someone aside and do it individually if you can't do it as a to a group, but pull them aside and say, mate, when you blaspheme in front of me, right, that offends me greatly. Mm. So please don't do it. Now, I've done that, and I can tell you that you do get a response, mm. and it's a positive response. Mm. And you, you will notice a change. It's often an apology. Well, it's an apology, but it's also, I'll do my best to try not to yeah, do that. Absolutely. And it's a positive thing. Mm. And then it also lets them know you, you gain automatic respect by the mm. way you know so sorry mate for yeah no, no i mean we're working with we've already spoken about femos mm. um often the what women wear at work an occasion of sin uh, scantily clad females mm. um of course you've got the old homosexual and um, those who actively promote the gay agenda you've got to be constantly on guard around your political correctness um feminism we've already spoken about that irony about feminism is Right, they're so equal rights for women or even special rights for women, um, you know, against that whole notion that the wife is subject to the husband. But they're often the same people who are promoting this tolerance of Islam and well, you know, act- act- activism in, in, in you know, um, asylum seekers and, and uh, all these people coming out from Syria. That's the most misogynist Culture. Culture in, in mm. the world. Um, I, I remember once I, I saw a guy on a web. Uh, he had this big headline on, on a web page. It's time to do away with the concept of manhood altogether. I mean, this is the sort of stuff <laughs> we're seeing. It just is irrelevant because oh we all should be people, you know. Like, oh, uh, uh, just, Didn't they bring a law we in? We can't even say our brother. Yeah. <laughs> to be brother and sister. Didn't, didn't a school or, I don't know, a, some organisation over in the States a couple of months ago bring in a law or a rule or something that the children at the school were not allowed to use the term boy or girl? No. I'm serious. I did hear something about that, yeah. 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 I mean... Well, I mean, there was this uh, another uh, article that I saw. Uh, sorry, it was a it was a web page about an article that this woman had written. She was a feminist, just, uh, um, I think a lesbian feminist, saying to put men... And she was serious. Put men in camps. 
and then, and then just because you know they're useless, they're, they're good for no- nothing. And um, uh, I mean, this is extreme, and most people would see it as extreme today. But it's it's that thin end of the wedge stuff. Mm. And she was saying, you know, uh, when women want to you know, have available access to the men they love, they can just sort of take them out like library books. Isn't that just crazy? <laughs> I mean, that's obviously an extreme, and, and as I said, most people would see it as extreme. What category would you be under in a library? For? <laughs> mm, uh, um, violence. <laughs> um, I think I'd be under the flower Intolerant. Uh, yeah, well, and that, tolerant, yeah. Well, yeah, the tolerance thing, that's, uh, that's a funny thing. I heard uh, one of my colleagues say the other day, she said, I'm intolerant. Of intolerance. <laughs> uh, I just looked at what you Did you say, that's pretty intolerant? <laughs> intolerant is a he or she? It was a she. She's intolerant yeah. of herself then. Well, she's intolerant of, of this notion of, um, you know, you've seen the whole, it's probably going to take another half an hour to talk <laughs> about the whole tolerance agenda. Um, and I'm, I know Bishop Sanborn's talked about it as, and uh, Father Chicada. So... I think that's pretty much covers a whole list of the things that of why that the the husband is under uh, under direct attack and indirect attack by everything around him, and no wonder it's um, got to this in the world. No wonder, indeed. So, well, today we've covered the role of the husband and the duties of the husband as well, and covered some of the things that he is up against in this modern world and. Various other interesting stories have come up in a few digressions, but I'm sure it's all been very interesting for our listeners. As we close out this episode, I want to thank you, Damien and Phil, for your time and being with us on this episode. Now, is there anything else you would like to add in summary before we close out our episode, Phil? Uh, look, very quickly, don't think that if you're a traditional Catholic, you are immune to the effects of the world, and also that it takes a great grace to combat it, but it can be combated. And you've got to um, almost do a little bit of a conversion every day, get up and ask God's grace to, to help to combat it. Uh, husbands, your duty is to protect your home, both morally and physically. So you need to be vigilant and work with your wife to build a strong spiritual life. But we'll, we'll have more to say on this in the next show. So that's my little takeaway. Yep, and that will be a good one too. So thanks for that, Phil. And what about you, Damo? Yeah, I think it goes without saying that current and prospective husbands need to have a clear and concise understanding of what Holy Mother Church teaches with respect to the role of the husband. And I would encourage listeners to educate themselves on this if they have not already done so. And also perhaps, you know, consider doing this with your wife and or your fiance, as the case may be. Of course, if you have access to traditional clergy, they can also help in this regard. It's imperative that both husband and wife are singing from the same hymn sheet, as it were. <laughs> we also need to become intimate with the duties that we must carry out in our role as a husband, especially in matters of faith and piety. And we need to make ourselves aware of both the subtle and very blatant attacks on this very important traditional role, the role which is directly attacked via the specific and intentional attacks on husbands themselves. Mm. Indeed. Well, once again, Damien and Phil, thank you for your time. And we will talk to you again next month as we continue the series. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa. And if you have any questions for Damien or Phil or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catholichome at truerestoration.org. And we will pass along your questions or comments to Damien and Phil. We would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the guests and clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. 
Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Teresa. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.